Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. It's good to see each of you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I love being able to be here with you all every opportunity that I do have. Um, I wasn't too awful long ago that I was with you for the Vacation Bible School. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Um, it's one of one of the real uh, treasures and privileges of my life is being able to 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 stand before you and preach. And uh, so I'm excited about that always. Um, I don't know if I've ever turned down uh, an invitation. There may be a time that that happens, and I won't be able to say that anymore. But I think as of right now, I don't think I've turned down an invitation to preach. And so uh, this is my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, evangelism is difficult. And I don't say that uh, just just to get started and, and start off on a bad foot or anything like that. But evangelism is difficult. It's not easy. You know, few people truly have it figured out. And a lot of the time, you know, we'll find somebody that really does have it figured out. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of chase after them and try to get them to speak on that. There are a few very good uh, preachers in the church uh, in our country that just really have zeroed in on, on a good technique and a good method. What they're, what they're doing is working for them. They're having great success in, in uh, getting Bible studies and in getting people uh, to, to come to the church and, and, and to, to begin their, their life uh, of walking with Christ. And, you know, a lot of time we look at them and, and we, we'll kind of nod our heads and say, that brother's doing a great job. And then we just go about our day. We go about our lives um, and nothing really changes. You know, most of us are, are sort of trying... We're trying to be evangelistic, but we really don't know where or how to start. I think that that usually categorizes us. You know, we know that it's a good thing. We know that evangelism is important, which is a word that, that is sometimes imitating. We know that telling people about Jesus is important. But sometimes we just don't know where to start. How do I do this? I don't know where to go, what to do, what to say to people. And really, it boils down to telling people about Jesus in America in 2018 is not easy. That's tough. That is tough. Going up to someone that you don't know and striking up a conversation with them about Jesus and telling them about the church is not something that is high on our to-do list. When we're going through the line at the grocery store, the first thing on our minds is, scan my stuff, take my money, and let me leave. It's not, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. That's not on our minds. That's not something that we're thinking about. We may hand them a tract, and if that's uh, what we're doing, I think that's a good thing. But uh, it's difficult for us in doing this because talking to people about Jesus is confrontational. You know, it puts us immediately on the defensive because we, we have to field questions that they might ask and immediately puts them on the defensive. Who is this guy that's coming up and starting to talk to me about religion? You don't know me. Didn't you know that I'm the most faithfulest church person that ever went to the church that I go to? And everybody, at least in our area, goes somewhere. 
You know, very, very uh, seldom do you find someone that doesn't go to church somewhere. And so, you know, evangelism is a difficult thing. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be hard. It, it can begin simply and effectively if we will uh, apply ourselves, if we'll do our very best in being the soul winners that we know God wants us to be, which is why I can appreciate so much what you're doing over the course of the next uh, several weeks, over the course of this summer and this quarter. I can appreciate so much you having a series of lessons on evangelism because this is so important that we be soul winners, that we be people who are interested in telling others about Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to be here every Wednesday night. Unless something catastrophic comes up, be here. Listen to these speakers that are coming in. I know some of the ones that are coming after me, and I guarantee it gets better. This is the low point. I guarantee it gets better. And so be here. I know that you'll be blessed. I know you'll be encouraged by what you see. You know, some of the time... We might find ourselves in the worship service and we might be singing the song, Lead Me to Some Soul Today. Or we might be singing the song, uh, Are You Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom? Or we might be singing the song, Send the Light, or Ring the Message Out, and a host of other evangelistic songs. And we might be singing them and mouthing the words, going through the motion, and not really internalizing. It's kind of that, that, old, uh, that old adage or that, that, that old saying, at least I heard it a long time ago, was, was the idea of someone singing all to Jesus, I surrender, and then leaving the church services and taking it all back. Some of the time we find that in what we do and how we're living. And it's, it's a terrible thing if we sing those songs and we feel empty or we feel inadequate, we feel ill-prepared to be able to, to live up to the words that we're singing. And indeed, we need to be those that are thinking seriously about the words that we sing and living up to those. But, but much, of, much of the time, we might be beating ourselves up and, and being so discouraged uh, to the point that we may never, ever take up the banner of Jesus and to go and to tell someone about Him in His church. We may become so discouraged to beating ourselves up about how little we know, about how little we have done in the past, or how inadequate we feel we might... Uh, that we're able to do things. And uh, it's a terrible thing. And it's important that we embark on, on the effort and the journey to realign our perspective. The problem is not that we don't love God. That's why we're here tonight. That's why I appreciate you being here so much. I know that you love God. That's why you're here on a Wednesday night. If you didn't love God, you'd be at home watching some some nonsense on TV. You know, nothing good comes on Wednesday nights anyway, so... The grass is not greener over there. But I know you love God. That's why you're here. That's why you're studying this. Because you want to tell people about Jesus. But the problem is, we need to realign things. We need to shift our, our view. Because too often we're focused only on our own vantage point and our own thinking. We need to realign and start looking at things the way that God looks at things. And our evangelism and our service, it won't be a frightening obligation, but it'll be a joyous opportunity that you and I have. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Looking for the opportunity, creating margin in our lives, preparing ourselves to be able to see the opportunity when it comes about. To know when the right time is for us to act. And we won't go into the very practical. A lot of that is coming later on, I'm sure, in the summer. 
But, but it starts with perspective. It starts with, with the way that we look at things and the way that we zero in our sights on some of these things. And so I want to start in Isaiah chapter 55 as we look at a, a passage that really describes for us the, the way that, that we ought to see things and, and kind of exposes uh, to some degree the failures that we have and the way that we do see things. Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to start reading together at verse 8. Isaiah 55. And, and let's start reading in verse 8 together. <clears throat> and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Wow, what a way to start that section. He goes on and he says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His way and his perspective is greater. And he goes on to explain this. He says in verse 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water uh, the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Now, this is a very interesting passage of Scripture, and it describes for us uh, aptly, there's a very stark difference in the way that we think, and the way that we do, do things in our ways and God's ways, right? God and heaven, as He says, uh, heaven, the heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts versus your thoughts. God's ways are very different from ours. You know, one way that we could categorize that or, or explain that is saying that God sees everything and we see but just a glimpse, right? We see but just a glimmer, just a small amount, but God sees the whole picture, the broad picture. You know, we're, we're, we're zoomed in. We're zoomed in as far as we can and we're seeing just a small specific speck, but God has a panorama in front of Him where He sees the entire image, the entire landscape before Him. Nothing escapes His sight. And when we think about the, the way that this breaks down, His way, His per perspective is greater. And His way and perspective is the fact that He knows everything, sees everything, and indeed everything is going to be accomplished to His will, to His purpose. He says that, that it's not going to return to Him empty. He, he, says, he says, you know, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... Do not return there, but water the earth. It doesn't end right there. When we've got rain and snow, and the way that they fall down to the earth, when it hits the ground, that's not it, right? We know that. Our, our elementary uh, selves way back in the past would tell us, no, of course not. There's this thing called evaporation and condensation. You know, we, we step outside right now. We look up in the sky. What are we going to see? We're going to see some clouds, right? Clouds aren't just white, puffy marshmallows. Clouds are water. They're water that, that, because of the altitude and how high it is, the air temperature is, is much, much colder. And so that water is, is in a semi-solid gas type of state where it's weirdly combined together to be a gas and a solid and water and all of these things. Science, someone who's smart can tell you about it. But, but it's, it's not the end. When the rain comes down next week... 
And it's going to rain next week, just, just so you know. You better watch out. When that rain hits the ground, that's not the end of it. That water's going to go into your, into your grass, and that water's going to keep on going. There's probably some, some water underneath there and some wells and various things, unless you live uh, on sand, which I apologize. But, you know, there's various other ways that that water's going to be reused. Eventually, it all flows together. In the same way, God knows, God sees the way everything flows together. Nothing escapes His understanding. And the same is true in every area. What does He say? He says that it will not return to Him empty, but He says it's going to accomplish what I want it to. He says that, that it's not going to return empty, but it's going to accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And we, when we back up, it says, The rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. It's going to flourish. It's going to do a great deal in going forth and accomplishing everything that I want it to. And so those who carry His word... As he says, my word shall be that which goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is taking the credit. He's saying, I'm doing this. It's going to happen according to my purpose. I'm in control here. I'm in charge at, at this time. And everything's going to happen the way that I want it to. And so no matter if it's prophets, apostles, Jews, or Christians, God says His Word is going to dominate. His Word is going to be successful. It's going to accomplish His purpose. And that ought to, to give us a certain amount of satisfaction. That as we, as we speak forth His Word, as we uh, invest ourselves in Him and in carrying out His work in service, that everything that God wants done is going to happen. And we can be instruments that make that happen. We can be a part of that blessing. And that's something that is both humbling and something that's really exciting. You know, I can't help but feel good when I read about this, when I read about going out uh, in the way that it describes. Continue reading here. Look at verse 12 and following. It says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. I get, I get happy. I feel good when I read that. You shall go out in joy. You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. He says, The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the, the myrtle. And, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You know, when I read this passage, I get so excited. But, but I come to realize that, you know, Isaiah is talking to a people probably much like us at times, they weren't experiencing the things that are being described here. You know, our lives, nor the life of a Jew, is full of joy and peace. We, we don't live that way all the time. Our lives are, are full of thorns and briars. When was the last time you heard the mountain uh, and the hills breaking out and singing, or as it says, that the trees of the field clapping their hands? You know, not everything is, is uh, rose petals and sunshine, as my mom would say. Not, not everything is, is sunflowers and daisies and blue skies and rainbows. You know, we would wish that everything was perfect, but that's not the case. But here's the thing. God's way knows our struggle. God knows from His almighty perspective. He knows exactly what we're doing. He knows that His servants uh, are... are 
are suffering and are going through this life. But, but, but one thing that's great and exciting is that through his servants, it says that he, he shall make his name great. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And indeed, we can have confidence inasmuch that God is going to make certain that his name is great. He's going to make certain that, that his glory is what goes forth throughout the entire world. That we're attached to that. that. That we bring him glory and honor by the things that we do. And so we've, we've got a, a lot to be thankful for when we think about these things. And one thing that we, that we learn overwhelmingly from this is that God has a greater perspective. God has a greater vantage point than you and I do. You know, it's so difficult for us to, to try to imagine the scenarios where we might be effective in telling people about Jesus. But some of the time, we're focusing so much on me, on me, on me, on me, on I, on my weaknesses, on my limitations, on, on my fallibilities, on my sin at times, and in the, in the way that, that I'm still weak about things and I've got much to work on. We hope and we, we, we can find in God and His grace but we need to also remember that God is not expecting us to do it alone. He's not expecting us to do everything by ourselves. He's promised us that He's going to be with us. When Jesus was speaking to His disciples just, just a short while before His ascension, He said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What, what ought we to understand from that? That we're here on our own? That, that we're looking through our own eyes only? No, it, it should remind us that we're not alone in this. And that we need to, to consider God's vantage point. What He thinks of us. What He knows of us. And the fact of the matter is, God has a superior vantage point in these things. You know, a vantage point is something that uh, is, is described or defined as a position or a place that affords a wider, broader, or advantageous perspective. It, it, a, a vantage point, a, a good vantage point, provides a better viewpoint. Who, who here has ever seen the movie Vantage Point? You ever see that? It came out in February of 2008, and it's got Dennis Quaid in it, it's got Forrest Whitaker and, and a few other you know, good actors in it, and it was a, you know, a fairly high-budget movie. I don't think it was quite as, success, as uh, uh, much of a success as they would have wished it would have been. But it was still a fair movie. But the movie is kind of strange. It's kind of a, a marvel of, uh, of movie making where they try to do something different. Some people like it. It goes over a little weird for others. Basically, every 11 minutes, the movie rewinds and goes back to the original idea. And the whole thing is surrounding a presidential assassination. And so every time it rewinds, every 11 or 12 minutes or so, it shifts perspective. The first time it's this uh, security guard who's in the Secret Service. The next time it goes to a fellow with a camera. It goes to a reporter. It goes uh, to, to a person standing in the back looking, real eerie, uh, looking eerily on the situation, looking very suspicious. And, and it does that like seven or eight, or, uh, eight times. And the idea is that, you know, as you go about every step of the way, every new vantage point, you're getting a little bit more information. You're getting a little bit broader of a picture. And then by the end of the movie, you really feel like, like you've got a grasp on this, like you're a, a real investigator and you're, you're beginning to crack down and follow the leads and, and, and you're starting to figure out, oh, I know who did it. I know who shot him. 
And by the end of it, everything is revealed and then the, the credits roll and you go home. The idea is, is that with Christianity, we are ever in a pursuit for a better and wiser vantage point. We're ever in this pursuit of going beyond our own understanding and embracing the understanding of the one who knows all and sees all and that we might be able to serve and, and ascertain his, his uh, presence in our lives better every step of the way. Now, one thing that's difficult sometimes is being bogged down with only our point of view, being bogged down with only how we see things. And sometimes even, even the worst part of this is how we see ourselves and our own weaknesses and our own inabilities to act and to be, to be busy and to be active and to be successful. Sometimes we feel bad about uh, the things that we do or the things that we don't do. And it really brings us down and causes us to be very negative. And, and you know, even, even only looking at things from our 21st century American angle and looking at things only through our 2018 glasses and trying to figure things out the best way that we can, it's not good enough. You know, we're, we're not only meant to go into all the world as 21st century Americans. We're meant to go into the world with more understanding, with more knowledge, with, with a far broader and, and more specific in certain circumstances of a perspective, the kind of perspective that we only get from God. Now, when we narrow things in and we're looking only at our own experiences, looking only at our own defects, it can result in failing to see the opportunities because of what we're afraid of, because of the rejections that we've had in the past. It can, help, it can lead us to, to fail to see those opportunities to serve, those opportunities to volunteer and to be a part of the, the work of the church. And, and, you know, let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. It, it's easy to get tied up in our own affairs that we forget or we neglect the affairs of the church. Let's be honest. If we're being honest and we're talking about evangelism and we're talking about taking the gospel message to our neighborhoods, you know, much of the time the shouldering of that work falls to just a handful of people within a congregation of people. And, and, and being in church work, I, I speak from experience of, uh, of our own group and our own short, uh, shortcomings as well as any of us. I, I recognize and understand my own failures in not taking the gospel out to those with whom I have a great amount of influence. It's easy to get tied up in the day-to-day -day with little concern for others with little concern for what's happening. And, and really, this isn't something that takes effort. It's not hard to become overwhelmed with work. It's not hard to be overwhelmed with family issues. It, it, it's not something that takes any amount of effort to get tied in during the summer months and all of the plans that are happening, all of the vacations, trying to spend time with the kids before they go back to school, trying to see the grandkids a little bit before they go back to school. They get a little bit taller every time you see them and it feels like time is slipping away from you. It's not hard that, that you know something keeps breaking at the house and you keep having to spend those Saturday mornings and those Sunday afternoons fixing something. You do one thing and the next week something else breaks and we go day in and day out, week after week, something happens. It keeps happening. We're just waiting, hoping, praying, you know, 
that, that one day everything will be taken care of, everything will be fixed, and then, then after we've set all those things aside, we can finally start working in the church. It's hard. It's not easy. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of a situation, of a scenario that was told to me while I was at camp a couple weeks back by a very good friend of mine. He was talking about, you know, a membership drive that they were having or, or an attendance drive where they were encouraging all the members to, to invite one person. They, they wanted to, on one specific Sunday, and they were really amping this up and hyping this up, on this one individual Sunday, they said, we want to have double our membership. If every member invites one person and they come, then our membership will double that day. And you know, a lot of people uh, really, really hit the, the pavement hard. And they had a lot of people. They didn't double, but they had a lot of people on that Sunday. And it was a great success. And then, you know, they decided they wanted to do it the next year. But the next year, they, they didn't get after it as soon. And, and, you know, there were a lot of things that happened in the church that year. And not only did they not have a great amount of people... Uh, on that Sunday for that second year they tried to do that, they actually had less than their average. They had some families that were out of town that week, and so uh, things were very discouraging. On the next Sunday, their preacher got up into the pulpit, and he laid into them. He said, our elders have set up this idea this day, And the fact that you failed to invite someone shows your rebellion against your elders. How are you going to feel when you're looking out from hell knowing that you are unfaithful to your elders? And you know, that's an unfortunate circumstance and what led to that type of discussion. And there were a lot of people that were upset at that church. They were upset at what had been said because various circumstances being what they were. And I won't forget... What, woman, what one woman said, whose husband was unfaithful at that time, she said, I'm just trying to keep my family together. I'm working. I got kids in school. I'm just trying to keep this family together, and so I'm sorry for not having it in the, in, in the, the forefront of my mind to invite people to church and to, to spend... The, the short time that I have on the weekends away from work telling people about Jesus. You know, it, these type of things, they happen all the time. Life happens. And, and understanding things through other people's vantage points is incredibly important. But one thing that you and I can trust and have a great amount of confidence is that God knows that young lady's vantage point. He knows what's going on in her life. And she will be held accountable to the point in which God does so. And that's for him to determine, right? And, uh, and what's so difficult is broadening that and getting outside of perhaps what you and I might say or think or ought to be happening without widening, broadening this perspective and doing our very best to get it in line with, with God's perspective. We need to be about his work, but we also need to be realistic. We can be very hard on ourselves like that young lady was. We can be so hard on ourselves that, it, that we become so discouraged for not seeing the opportunities. That we can become so discouraged for not taking the step because we don't know how. We're not experienced in that. 
you know, baby steps are, are a thing. And being here tonight and being here every Wednesday this summer is a step in that direction. As every week, as you go a little bit closer, a little bit closer, you begin to understand about how you can serve, how you can be busy, how you can be active in the kingdom, what you can do, what your part is in taking the gospel to those that you know and what you can do. And so, you know, that vantage point is important. Understanding ours, but also understanding God's ways are above our ways. You know, sometimes we don't put the, piece of the, the pieces of the puzzle together when we think about things. You know, but having uh, the better vantage point gives us the advantage. You see these two things, that they are linked together. They're, they are the same word. They have the same meaning. When you're, when you're at a, a better, a wiser vantage point, you are gaining the advantage. You, you are gaining a leg up, if you will, on these things. And having a better vantage point gives us the advantage. And when we're positioning our lives according to God's viewpoint of what He wants for His people, of His plan of taking the gospel to the whole world, and that of His Son in going to the cross and being sacrificial and allowing us to have that advantage of grace and mercy against our adversary, the devil, then it helps us in such a great way. Having that advantage is so important. You know, I, this has become something that, that is quite apparent to me over the last few days as I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, with, with even just the various situations that have been occurring in, in my family over the, you know, the past 18 months or so. It is, a, it is a truly difficult thing to be a thousand miles away from all of the family that you ever knew growing up. Parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins... Every one of them a thousand miles away from where we're standing. And, uh, and you see them once a year. And you cherish those times you have together. You take a lot of pictures of the grandparents with the grandkids. You do everything you can to savor those times. But then, but then situations happen like what happened to me these past 18 months. Where our family lost six family members within 18 months. Two of those... Uh, one was an aunt and one was an uncle, and both of them died suddenly. One, one had, a, had a stroke, and the other, we just found out last week after four months, found out had a heart attack. It took, it took a long time to find that out, and so that's been something that's been pressing, something that's been very present on my mind these last couple of days, is thinking about you know, the, the relief of finally knowing and not having to ask the question or wondering uh, how or why, what happened. That, that caused, some, caused him, him to, to, to die and for him to, to be there for two or three days, no one knowing what happened until, until some, uh, one of his neighbors asked for a wellness check and the police came in and blew down the door to find out what was going on. And, 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 and perhaps more than that, you know, my favorite person on planet Earth was, was, my, was my granny. And uh, you know, I spent a lot of time over her house. She was formative. In my life, I would not know Jesus if it weren't for her. I would never would have obeyed the gospel if she hadn't been uh, an influence in my life. And so I treasure uh, my relationship with her. And she passed away last year. And, and it's so difficult. The helpless and the guilty feeling of being too far away to console family members, to help in any way, to do anything. Those feelings, uh, a lot of the time, can be so destructive 
and making you feel so bad and so guilty about, about living where you live and being where you are and being away. You know, why couldn't I do more? Why wasn't I closer? Why did I decide to move away? I could have stayed up there and everything you know, would have been all right. I've been able to help in those situations. And, and, and so I've been dealing with this. And I haven't really talked about it all that much. But one thing dawned on me in thinking about, about this lesson is that this experience gives me a very specific vantage point. It gives me an advantage. And, and it's something that, that I can use. It puts me in an advantageous position to be able to help someone else who's been in a similar position. And that's exactly what you have. You have a very specific vantage point, a perspective, a viewpoint in your life where you are able to help someone in a circumstance that may be similar to yours or maybe different from yours. But all of us in our unique set of experiences give us something very valuable when we're talking to people about Jesus. Because when we're talking to people and trying to tell them about Jesus, we're not, we're not targeting the people who already have it all figured out. When we're talking about church growth or evangelism, we're not talking about going to some other church in town and trying to convince their members to come over here. And, and I'm, so, I'm so happy that, 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 you, that y'all do not engage in that practice. I'm so happy to, uh, for, for the, the men that you have and for your preacher and, and the type of people that you are. You know, the people that we're looking to help are the same people that Jesus was looking to help. He was ridiculed for sitting down with, with the harlots and with the, the tax collectors. We're looking for the people who, who don't have it figured out, who've had various struggles and things that have happened in their life. That's where we're looking to be able to help them, to be of service to them. And we as Christians, we're in an advantageous position because God's viewpoint is better than our own. He knew we weren't worthless. He knew that we were worth saving, and He did just that. And knowing our value, knowing the love of our Lord for ourselves, it gives us a perspective that we can, can begin to appeal to others. We can improve the position of others in their lives, help them to come to know about Jesus. You know, we now see through the vantage point of grace and mercy and, and can offer the advantage to someone else through our service. And this is why we serve. This is why we do what we do. This is why we tell people about Jesus. This is why we're interested in feeding the hungry, sheltering the needy. This is why we're interested in all of these things. Because every step of the way, it leads us closer. It leads us closer to being able to have that conversation. Do you know about Jesus? Every step of the way, it leads us to that point. Very briefly, before our time completely runs away from us, I want for us to look at Acts chapter 3. You know, our vantage point that we have, that we've learned from God, that this broader perspective and understanding the need for forgiveness, understanding that God's will is going to be done in all things, that nothing is going to come back empty, but everything is going to be accomplished according to His purpose. It helps us when we see the opportunity to move in and to be able to help, to move in and to be able to serve. And so we look at Acts chapter 3 and we begin in verse 13. Read, read with me. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, 
to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, now this is some time after Jesus has ascended to heaven. This is some time after uh, the, we, we've had the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. <coughs> and, and this short time after that, people are beginning to, to settle into their regular routines and daily activities. And what we find is that Peter and John are going where the people are. They're going to, to the uh, hour of prayer at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon because they know that that's where the people are going to be. And so that is something that we ought to underline or mark in the margins of our Bibles. Go where the people are. If you want to look for opportunity and how you can be of service, how you can lead people to Jesus, you're not going to be able to do that if you're shut up in your home, if you're shut up in your car. You're not going to be able to do that if you're away from people. You're going to need to be where they are. And so that's something that's important. Peter and John were going where the people were. And while they're doing that, they see a man lame from birth who's being carried. And we're getting the idea that every single day he's being carried by someone. Someone is picking him up and carrying him and taking him to the entrance of the temple. Someone's taking him to the gate that they call beautiful, (coughs) which it probably didn't seem all that beautiful to him because he's sitting there asking people for money. He's sitting there down on his luck, a man who hasn't been able to walk his entire life. And he's there just hoping for someone to be able to help him in some way. And, you know, it's almost like he was halfway into God's presence. He's right there at the gate. He's not in the temple. He's not, you know, far outside of it. It's like he's halfway in God's presence, <coughs> which is why I can appreciate a church that, that doesn't only go halfway. You know, we want to be people that, that go all the way, that get people all the way in, not leaving people just halfway to where they need to be, not just serving them, but teaching them about Jesus. We need to be people about the book, not just helping them and satisfying their physical needs, but satisfying their spiritual needs and leading them to the, the one who is able to heal them, who's, who is going to be able to do everything that they need to do. I mean, I mean what good is it if we're just filling people's bellies paying their light bills, putting gas in their cars, for those things to run out again and for them to to be no better off than they were before. We need to teach them. We need to use these as as opportunities to be able to tell them about Jesus. We need need to tell them about the one that can satisfy every need of theirs, not only those things which are temporary and those things which are needful for this life. We need to be those that are leading people to, to the one who can fix everything for their future and not only their present. And one thing that's interesting when we continue looking at this in Acts chapter 3 is listen to what happens. In verse 3, it says, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He asked them for money. Verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him. He looked at him, as did John. They both looked at him. And they said to him, they said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, expecting a gift. And Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And so he spoke these words to him. And verse 7 says a little bit more. He says, he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Wow. 
And it says that all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. So how, how did this happen to you? You've been here every single day, every day at, the, at 3 o'clock at this meeting. You've been sitting out there asking for money day in and day out. So what happened to you? And I want you to notice what we see. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in, in the portico called Solomon's. Listen to this. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Peter saw the opportunity. He saw it right in front of him. All these things happened and he said, this is my opportunity. And what we have in this case is this gospel sermon that he preaches to them. And he adds thousands into the fold. And what we see in this case, he addresses the people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. We haven't done this by our own power, but we did this by the power of that fellow that you cast out. We did this by the power of Jesus. And Peter not only speaks these words to this man and heals him, but he gives them his actions. And that's a good example for you and I, that, that we're not only giving people words. You know, we look at James chapter 2. He says, he says, what good is it? What profit is it if you see someone who, who is naked, destitute? That means, that means they're completely lacking of all of their daily living needs. And you say, be warmed and filled, depart in peace. You know, if we were to translate that into, into 2018 American, we might say... Bless your heart and go about your way. Bless your heart. Well, what good is it to say that and not give them things that are needful for the body? And this isn't a passage that's talking about faith and works. These two things cannot be separated. And Peter illustrates that for us and gives us a good precedent to this. He gave him the words. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He reaches out his hand and he lifts him up. He lifts him up so that he can do that. And you know, you and I, we're not in the miracle business. We're in the preaching business. We're in the service of the Lord. But sometimes when we come into contact with people that are lame, and we lift it up. That's why I love so much that, that, uh, that VBS song that we sing sometimes. If you see a brother or sister in the way, we will stop and pick them up. So we won't tag along behind. You know, that's a good precedent for us in our service and in, in, our, in our love for one another, in our love for everyone. If we see anyone in the way, we should stop and pick them up. And Peter does that for them. You know, day after day, that lame man lay there. I want you to imagine how many people walk past him. Every day, 3 o'clock, walk past him. But Peter and John, they don't walk past him. They stop and they look at him. And they say, look at us. And they heal him. Sometimes when we come into contact with people, there are people that have been passed over, people that have been stepped on, people that are unsavory individuals, people that have made a lot of mistakes. That's, that's our target. We're not looking for the people that have got it all together. Jesus said, I've come not for the well, but for the sick and the needy. And that's what we're looking to do. We're offering the healing. Not through our own hands, as Peter says, but we're offering this healing through Jesus. 
And so we, we need to let our words come into contact with action. And so it's a great blessing for us to, to be able to do that. You know, when we answer the, the mandate of God to, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, when we embrace our mission uh, to, to carry on the work that God has given us, we're on a mission to bring Him glory. You know, Isaiah 55 it said that, that it would make God's name great, an everlasting sign. Peter, he took no credit for this, but he referred to Jesus. You know, we're on a mission. You know, I've heard it put this way, that, that uh, the church's mission is to reach the lost and teach the found. I've heard it also put this way, that the, the work of the church is threefold, in, in evangelism and edification and benevolence. That we're, that we're teaching the lost, building up the saved, and helping the needy. This is our mission. And, and, and this is all in an effort for us to bring souls to Christ. So that we're not get, getting them only halfway in, but we're getting them all the way in. We're people that have been mobilized by God. You know, Acts 8.4 says that, that, they went into, that they went into all the world preaching the gospel. They were scattered about. And indeed, the fact that the gospel of Christ has come to Columbus, Georgia, is a wonderful sign of God's providence. The fact that it has come to hear from Jerusalem, and that His gospel remains, and that the church is strong, is a, is a sign of God's love, and we ought to be wholly thankful for that. And in the people that are in your life that you have the opportunity to teach and to influence them, they are there because of God's providence. God has a plan. And, and you are, are a very vital and important instrument in carrying out His purpose. What did He say? He said, My word that goes forth shall not come, to, come back to me void or empty, but it will accomplish whatever I purpose. Let that be through you. Let that be through, through the words that you give. And, and, and let's, let's understand that you know, we need to shout yes to the mandate to go into the world. We need to be about that mission. We need to understand that we are mobilized for this effort. All of us being uniquely qualified to serve within our own sphere of influence. But don't forget to wait for what is truly marvelous as we wait on the Lord. You know, First Corinthians chapter 3 we're given an image, we're given hope, we're given great instruction about where we fit in the kingdom and in our effort. And it says this in verses 6 through 9. It says, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither is he plants nor he water or anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers you are God's field, God's building. Let Him work through you. Let these words in Ephesians 3 be true in your hope and in your life as you look toward Jesus. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You and I have the choice. As we understand and we know God's ways are above our ways. His way is always going to succeed. You and I knowing that, we can be a part of that great work. We can be a part of that uh, work in His kingdom and in His vineyard. Or we can be against it. 
we were talking the other day, we were describing things and, and talking like preachers do. We're asking the question, are you in the way or are you of the way? Let's make sure that we are of the way in the church, that we're not in the way of making sure that the work gets done. And so I hope uh, that, that you'll think seriously about these things. Look for the opportunity. Look for the opportunities that are there for you uh, to use your vantage point for God's glory. Look for the ways in which you can be better uh, equipped and learn and be, be all the wiser what to look for and to be purpose-driven and to be about His work. Look for the opportunity. It is my belief that if you look for it, you'll find it. Thank you all so much. I appreciate your attention and your attendance and the invitation.